while they're just concluding taking the offering, I'm going to go ahead and begin to pray and ask God to bless our time in his word this morning. Father, I, I know many hearts are heavy here this morning because we've, many of us have heard the news of the mass shooting in El Paso, Texas. Last I heard, there were 20 fatalities, almost that many that were wounded, all with a senseless, evil act. And Father, we just lift up the families of those who have lost loved ones, the families of those with wounded. And we pray for revival for this country. We have seen and observed the increasing darkness, the attempts to erase all the Christian values upon which this country has been founded. We have seen Christians slandered for their faith, their belief in you and in your son. And we pray again, Father, for revival. We pray that your spirit might move in Colorado Springs and across this nation and that Christians would be on their knees lifting up neighbors, friends, workers who are without Christ. May the evangelical church be strengthened. May we become stronger. May we live in such a way that people see Christ in us and desire to be saved. So have your way. We rejoice that we have your word to turn to, and we, we do that with grateful hearts this morning. Father, use me as just your vessel to glorify your name, to preach the truth, to hold fast to the word of God. And we pray these things in Jesus' powerful and mighty and precious name. Amen. First of all, I want to thank Dan Beck for not taking revenge this morning. Thank you, Dan. Did I really go 20 minutes? 15? Okay. That was one of the longest communions in our history, I think. And I've always wanted to hold that record, so thank you. Thank you. This morning, the sermon is entitled, and my wife told me to be careful with this title, and I want to say it slowly for you. The immeasurable, that's the word she was wondering about, the immeasurable importance of godly leaders in the church. The immeasurable importance of godly leaders in the church. This started for me a couple of months ago when I got a, an email from a friend in Florida in the church that we attend when we're there. And it was from Charles Spurgeon's devotional. And the devotional was entitled, Brethren, Pray for Us. And I'm going to read it to you. I think it's good. And I'm going to try to translate. Because Charles Haddon Spurgeon was an English pastor who lived from 1834 to 1892. Didn't even make the age of 60, but is well-known, godly man. Man who saw many come to Christ, a man who preached the word and Charles Haddon Spurgeon used a little bit different English than we do. So that's why I'm going to translate some parts for you, if you don't mind. This one morning, he says, in the year, we reserve to refresh the reader's memory upon the subject of prayer for ministers. And I'm going to say elders. Because elders are the leaders of the church that are to minister to the body. Some are pastors and teachers. Some have other gifts, but they're all godly men to be godly men, and they're called to lead. So he's, he's saying, I want to refresh your memory upon the subject of praying for your leaders. And we do most earnestly implore every Christian household to grant the fervent request of the text and the text comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.25, simply where Paul says, Brethren, pray for us. 
And he says, brethren, our work, that is the work of these men, is solemnly momentous, involving weal or woe. I'm going to translate, good or bad. You see what he's saying. To thousands. We treat with souls for God on eternal business. And our words, our word is either a savor of life unto life or of death unto death. A very heavy responsibility rests upon us, and it will be no small mercy if at the last we be found clear of the blood of all men. Notice these words that come next. As officers in Christ's army, we are the special mark of the enmity of men and devils. Did you get that? The leaders of the church are a special mark of the enmity of men and of devils. They watch for our halting and labor to take us by the heels. Our sacred calling involves us in temptations from which you, the general congregation, are exempt. Above all, it too often draws us away from our personal enjoyment of truth into a ministerial and official consideration of it. We meet with knotty cases, difficult, and our wits are at non-plus. I think he means we're sometimes overflowing, we're filled up with all that's going on. We observe very sad backslidings and our hearts are wounded. We see millions perishing and our spirits sink. We wish to profit you by our preaching. We desire to be a blessing to your children. We long to be useful both to saints and sinners. Therefore, dear friends, intercede for us with our God. Miserable men are we if we miss the aid of your prayers, but happy are we if we live in your supplications. You do not look to us, but to our master for spiritual blessings. And yet, how many times has he given those blessings through his leaders? Ask them again and again that we may be earthen vessels into which the Lord may put the treasure of the gospel. And I want to ask you, to do that for your leaders here, for the elders of this church. Pray for them. And I want to pick up on what Charles Haddon Spurgeon was saying. The leaders of the local church, the men we call elders, the spiritual leaders, are men who have targets on their back when it comes to our spiritual enemy. Now, why would he target us? And what does he want to do with us? Let me give you another illustration. And this comes from 1777 in the Revolutionary War. In Saratoga, New York, which is a little bit north, and Ann and I came to this church from Newburgh, New York, near West Point. Lived there for 11 years, and I was pastoring in a Bible church, serving as a chaplain in an air guard unit. We came from New York, and Saratoga is just north of Albany, not too far from Lake George, if you know the state of New York. In the month of September, September 19th and October the 7th, two major battles occurred between General John Burgoyne on the British side and General Horatio Gates on the Continental Army side. Major battle two specific days in which there was much bloodshed. When the battle was over, General Burgoyne surrendered all of his troops to the Continental Army. All of them. It was the first major battle in the war and was kind of looked at as a turning point for the Revolutionary War because the Continental Army beat the British. And the question is, how did they do that? Some say it was because 
troops uh, that were to come and be a replacement for the British from New York City didn't show up. And certainly that had something to do with it. Others have said it was because a key assistant of General Burgoyne, another general that was one of his best fighters, was killed in battle. Certainly that had something to do with it too. But many historians say this. It was because of Morgan's militiamen, his riflemen, from the states of Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Maryland, 500 men that were recruited by Morgan and made part of Horatio Gates' army with one specific purpose in mind. Shoot the officers and shoot the men who fire the artillery cannons. 500 men, one specific mission, given that many feel turned the tide of battle. There were many units in Burgoyne's British army when this battle was over that had no officers left, no cannons firing. The Americans went after the officers. And the British were fond of letting you know who their officers were by the way they dressed. In many wars since then, we've learned don't display who your officers are. Don't tell them who they are. But the reason they feel that we won that battle is we wiped out the leadership. We did away with it. And here's, here's the point. Whether it's in earthly wars or whether it's in the success and victory in the church of Jesus Christ. Neither are going to happen without leaders, trained leaders, efficient leaders, leaders who know how to fight. In the case of the church of Jesus Christ, he himself has appointed men to lead. Every local church throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, when you get to the book of Titus, Titus is told to go at each church in each city and appoint elders. Appoint elders to be over the flock. Mature men. Men who have wisdom from the word of God. Men who are to lead the, the local church. Now, as soon as that's done... Our enemy, Satan, who knows us well and knows who the leaders are, we don't, have to have, we don't have to have certain uniforms to say who the elders are. Satan knows who we are. And Satan comes after us with a vengeance, as Charles Haddon Spurgeon said in his devotional. Folks, pray for us. Why does he come after us? Does he come after us with bullets? No. He comes after us to cause spiritual failure. He comes after us. You know, one of the things that can happen in ministry and to elders and to pastor teachers is we can start to feel pretty good about ourselves and think, you know, boy, the Lord just couldn't get along without us. And that's not good. So Satan comes along and he tempts us. And he gets us to think we can do the ministry without being in the Word of God and without spending time studying the Scriptures or without spending time on our knees. There's a lot of ways that he attacks. And he attacks in this church and he attacks your elders. Sometimes we think we can maybe just get along with a little bit of sin. We can't. It begins to go downhill. We need your prayers. We need to pray for each other. We need to be men who take the mantle and take it seriously and understand that whether this church succeeds or not depends largely upon our walks with God and how we shepherd this church. And if Satan begins to do a job on us, I guarantee you, this church will experience defeat. We have good and godly men here. 
I love to come to meetings and sit with them. We don't always agree. But you know what we strive for? To please Him. To do what is right. To be men of the Word. To be men in prayer. To be men who love each other and who love you. But you know we're always one step away from leaving that that thought pattern. One step away. And Satan would love to do a number on us and thus do a number on the church. I don't know how many of you read the article that I saw this week, but there was a man by the name, a pastor by the name of Josh Harris, who wrote the book a number of years ago, a best-selling book in Christian circles called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He's been pastor. He grew up in a Christian home. He grew up with homeschooling parents who were leaders in this nation among Christian homeschooling parents. And he became a pastor, and he has a large church, had a large church. But just in the last weeks or months, and obviously something's been going on in his life for years, in the last couple of weeks, he has come out, renounced his faith, left his church, divorced his wife, asked Multnomah School of the Bible to quit publishing his book or books, and apologized to the LBGTQ community for things that he had said. A leader in the church. Was he truly saved? From my Reformed theology, I would say no, he was a pretender. Some would say he was truly saved and lost it. I would say he never had it and pretended, but eventually, because he gave in to lust and sin, walked away from it all. I don't know what the case was. Could God still do a work in his heart and bring him back? Surely. What about his church? What about the people that he has tried to influence over the years? How will that impact them? These things go on all the time. This morning, I want you to just look with me briefly at the subject of elders. We're going to talk about their basic nature, their qualifications, their appointment, and primarily their responsibilities in the local church. And lastly, we're going to end up on you again, all of us. What is your required response to them? How should you treat them? How should you think about them? These men that serve as your elders do not have an easy job. And most of us get no remuneration, nor do we want any. But it's a daily battle. You see what's going on in the country. You see what's going on in the evangelical church overall. It could happen to us if you don't uphold us in prayer to be men of God, to hold up the word of God, to proclaim it, to teach it, to come alongside you, to live it. All of these things we must do. What's the basic nature of this role of leader in the local church? There are two words used to describe the office. Presbuteros, Greek word. Episkopos, Greek word. Those words in English, we get the word Presbyterian from. The Presbyterian church comes out of that name. Or the Episcopal church out of Episcopos. But both those words are used to describe one office, not two. One office. One of the words pictures the maturity of the office, elder. Presbyteros is translated elder. That's the maturity of the office that's required to be in it spiritual maturity. The other word, episkopos, has to do with oversight. The elder must be a mature Christian spiritual man, a godly man, and his role is to give oversight to the flock, to lead, to train, all of those things. And the other thing that we learn, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1 and look with me at verse 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 as we hear some things about the qualifications for elders. And in this passage, learn that these two words are 
picturing and are referring to one specific office. Look at verse 5 with me of Titus 1. For this reason, Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete that you might set in order what remains. What, what, what did remain? They had no leaders. He says, I want you, Titus, to appoint elders in every city as I directed you. There has to be officers in the church. Namely, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who, I'm going to translate this different than the NASV says, says who believe, but who are faithful, because I think that's what the Greek more says there, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. In other words, they must be faithful to their parents and their parents leading them. We can't, we can't ensure that our children become true believers. Can any of you give spiritual life? I can't. You can't. Only the Spirit of God can. But I can cause my children living in my home to be faithful to my leadership and not be in rebellion and not in dissipation. For the overseer, now notice this, he used in verse 5 the word elder, he says appoint elders, and then he says for the overseer, that's the word episkopos, the elder and the bishop, another translation of the word episkopos, are one and the same. The early church began to deviate from scripture almost immediately after the apostles were gone. They began to appoint bishops. They distinguished between elders and bishops. The elders, yeah, were to run the local church, but the bishop was the head guy, and he ran the elders. He oversaw the elders, or he might have overseen a number of churches, and once they began to go down that trail and put authority in one man's hands, the church began to deviate like crazy from the Scriptures, all because of an error in ecclesiology, how to run the church. You see, these men, the elders, are always to be plural in every church. There's no one man that oversees any church. There's no one man in charge. There is one man that is the head of every church, and that is the man, Jesus Christ, and him alone. We're under shepherds here, under his authority, under his word. We serve at his pleasure, but we're just men. And that's why he put us in a plurality, so we can balance one another, so we can listen to one another, so that no man just steps up and becomes Lord of the church. The office of elder or overseer is not a singular position at all. And finally, the elders that are to be involved in managing, shepherding, overseeing the church are all to be able to teach. We're all to be in the Word. We're all to know the Word. Not all of us have the gift of pastor-teacher. Some do, some don't. But I'm thankful to God that even when we meet as elders in this church, there are men there with the gift of mercy and men there with the gift of helps and men there with the gift of administration and some of us with the gift of teaching. You don't have to have that gift, though, to be an elder. But an elder has to know the Word of God and be in it and be able to communicate it. And we have men like that here. We have men who teach classes. We have men who lead small groups among our elders. We have men who love the Word, who are in the Word. You're privileged to have a group of men like that here. What are the necessary qualifications of an elder? I'm going to summarize what 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, and what Titus that we just read. Turn over to 1 Timothy 3 just for a moment. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. Paul says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. You ever thought about becoming an elder? Have you ever thought 
about what it would take to be an elder? Every man in this church ought to be thinking about that. It's a fine work he aspires, he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. What kind of a man should this man be? I can summarize it in three words. He must have a knowledge of the word of God. He must be applying that word to his own life and living it. And he must be applying it in his family. If he is a family man, if he has a wife and he has, a ch he has children, he needs to be doing the same thing in that family that he would be doing as an elder with a bigger family with the family of Christ. That's the kind of qualifications that are required for an elder. Let me just say to you younger men or middle-aged men, maybe who are not an elder at this time, ask God to give you desires to be one. Seek it with all your heart. Spend time in the Word and prayer. Take some seminary courses. Put the Word into practice in your daily life by the power of the Spirit. Lead your family spiritually and manage it well. How many of you young men are spending time with your wife and your children in the Word of God? Often. I started to say daily. Maybe that's too much. No, it isn't. Daily. Are you leading your family? Are you opening up the Word of God and teaching them the Word of God? Are you doing that? You can't be an elder unless you're doing well in your own family. Again, you can't bring your children to Christ. You can pray for them, and you can live the Word before them, and you can teach them the Word, but it's the Spirit of God that will bring life if and when it comes. Teach your wife and children. If the church is going to survive in our day, and by the way, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Paul says that before Jesus returns, there's going to be a great falling away after the man of sin appears. How close are we to the man of sin appearing? Anybody know? Could it be tomorrow? Are we heading that way? I think we are. If this church is to survive, if any church is to survive, it's going to be because godly men who have been placed as elders and overseers are leading the church. It will be because of that. How do these men get appointed? First of all, Acts 20, turn there with me if you would, Acts chapter 20. These men are ultimately appointed by the Spirit of God himself. Listen to what Paul says to the elders at Ephesus. Verse 17, it says he's meeting with the elders from Ephesus as he's traveling, and he has time with them. And then in verse 28, he says to these elders, be on guard for yourselves. Elders, we need to take that very soberly here. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There again, elder and overseers are the same office, not two distinct things. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, I think that might mean the elders. 
will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Powerful words from the, the Apostle Paul to elders. Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock. Satan is attacking. You need to be godly men. You need to take care of the flock to oversee, to shepherd them. You need to be on the alert that there's even some from within your own walls that may rise up like a Josh Harris like a Rob Bell, who pastored, who went to Wheaton College, who then went off to a good evangelical seminary, and then his church is growing and thousands are coming, and he begins to teach them there is no hell. Forget it. Don't worry about it. The scriptures don't know what they're talking about. And then he began to go off on many other tracks as well. I think today, he's the last I heard, he was working for Oprah Winfrey. Pray for your elders. They're appointed by the Spirit of God, obviously recognized in the local church by you, and appointed and placed in their positions. Here's the most important thing, though. What's their primary responsibility? What's their primary responsibility? It's only, I think, when we begin to delve into their responsibility that we can begin to see how immeasurably important they are and how they have become a target for Satan. A target for Satan. Look at 1 Peter 5, 1-4. 1 Peter 5, 1-4. Now Peter is writing to the elders and he even claims that he is an elder himself. He is one among them. And he says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter, another writing to the elders and admonishing them to do their job. The first job of the elder is, first responsibility in all of these verses is for the spiritual welfare of the church that they shepherd. Spiritual welfare of the church that they shepherd. They are to feed and lead, to pray for those that make up the body, James chapter 5. They are to know the truth thoroughly and preach and teach it regularly and model it in their own lives. They are to build up the believers entrusted to their care as those who will one day give an account. Every elder in this church and every elder throughout time and space will one day stand before God and give an account of what they have done in the church that they have been an elder in. Every one of us that have had that job. They are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. They are to challenge those in the flock to live godly, turn from sinful, sinful desires, mortify their flesh, walk in the Spirit, repent of their sin, love and honor Christ above all, hold fast to the faith, whatever the cost, resist the enemy of their soul, be good soldiers for Christ. In order to fight the good fight of faith, some of you have been in the military. Some of you have fought in battles. But there is no battle more important than the battle 
against Satan and his demonic forces in the local church today. Our job is to, to come alongside and be there for the spiritual welfare of the church. Here's another thing that the scripture says to the elders. Guard the flock and protect it against false teachers and from the attacks of Satan, both against the church and themselves. He's a tireless enemy who will never give up as long as he still has opportunity. He comes to seek and destroy the work of the people of God. He especially comes after the leaders of the church in order to destroy its leadership. He also comes after the flock, and spiritual leaders must hold them accountable to practice what they proclaim and discipline them when they chart a course of sin and will not turn from it. By the way, some of you were in the class with Jeff Black, and Jeff's class also probably gave me some thoughts about this particular sermon. And I had an opportunity there to share a letter. One of the hardest things that elders have to do in this life is to exercise and bring to the church matters of church discipline when some in the body will not cease from their path of sin. That's hard. That's one of the hardest things that leaders ever have to do. And you as a church have to get involved in that too. Because leaders will bring the recommendation to you. And you're the one that has to, with them, exercise the discipline when it occurs. We had to do this numerous times in the church in New York that I was in before, before I came here. I'm trying to remember now, in 25 years here at Front Range Alliance, if I've actually participated in church discipline. I think maybe once. But in that church, in 11 years, we had a number of different needs that required church discipline. And sometimes you wonder, why am I doing this? No good's going to come. Most people that are disciplined by the church leave and slam the door and say, we're out of here and we don't care what you do. But I want to read this to you. Some have not heard it, some have. Once I, was, I got here, and I came in 94, but 10 years later after arriving here, the elders in the church that I left in New York wrote me this letter and sent me a copy of a letter from a lady that we had had to discipline for her sin. And I've carried this in my Bible ever since because you don't get them very often. But listen to the words of this lady, which happened close to 15 years after we disciplined her for her sin, protecting her, protecting the flock. She said, Dear Sirs, it's written to the Board of Elders at Leptondale Bible Church, Newburgh, New York. It has been many years since I have been out of fellowship with the body of Christ at Leptondale. This was a direct result of my behavior and my excommunication from the church the pastor attempted to counsel me. I refused. I was separated from my husband and subsequently divorced him. I wrote a letter to the board of elders shortly after that, which I recently found and was disgusted with my arrogance, will, willfulness, and self-righteousness. I am writing to set the record straight. While I know I am right before the Lord now, I am not right with the congregation of Leptondale. All those years ago, I sinned and refused to repent to the people whom I loved most. I'd like to take this opportunity to do that now. I deliberately and intentionally disobeyed the Lord. I did not recognize the authority of the church and refuse the counsel of godly men. I humbly ask for your forgiveness. If it is necessary to complete this process by coming before the congregation, I will do so when I visit in September. Thank you for the decision you made all those years ago. 
You did what God wanted. I did not. Being an elder is hard, folks. There are times for the good of the body and the good of the person and the good of the Lord and honor to him that we must make some hard decisions and bring it to you. They're not fun. We take no joy in those kinds of things. But one of the things that elders are to do is to guard and protect the flock. And sometimes that's what it takes. Satan is a roaring lion seeking to devour and he will stop at nothing. At nothing. So we're to guard and protect and elders also are to model, to lead, to teach, to be in the word. Satan is going to try and destroy Front Range Alliance Church. He is right now. Pray that your elders will be men of God who will constantly uphold the word of God, be in the word of God, be filled with the spirit, and oversee this church as Christ would do it if he were here himself. That's the kind of men that we want to be. It just so happened, by the way, this week that I got... All of us in the district, at least that are leaders, got a letter from our district superintendent. And I thought when I, when I opened it up to read it, that it was going to be an interesting email because the title of it is Moles. Anybody see that one from our district superintendent? He says, Len and I enjoy our yard. It is a sanctuary for us, a place of rest. Recently, however, our sanctuary has been invaded Long, uh, long lines of raised dying grass and fresh mounds of dirt mark our once healthy backyard. Moles, animals I have grown to despise. I ignored their destruction for three weeks, but this past weekend they moved from our backyard to our front yard, and I declared war on them. Then he goes on to say this. Time will tell if I am winning the war. Wish I had started three weeks ago. But here's his application. He said, this year I've been sharing with the churches of this district what it means for us to commit to lead our churches and ministry teams. We have talked about sexual purity, our identity in Jesus, the importance of prayer, living in a constant state of awe of Christ. My mole invasion has caused me to think about a commitment to lead as kingdom workers who shepherd and protect the people of God that God has given us. I ignored my mole invasion too long and my whole mole army, solar-powered repellent stakes and the poison worms. As called leaders in Christ, we must be alert and fully engaged with clear judgment and rational minds so we can quickly identify and then resist the invasion of false doctrine and divisiveness in our churches. So he asked us as leaders to consider these things. It's not fun in many ways to be an elder in a church, but it is necessary. And one day, elders who do their jobs well will receive the reward from Christ and the thanks of congregations that they've served because they have given their all to protect them, to guide them, to live godly before them, to cause them to keep their eyes on Christ and to run a straight race. So again, what's your response as a body to your elders? To sum up the New Testament's teaching on to, of the response of the flock to his spiritual leader is to obey and submit to them, Hebrews 13, 17. Appreciate them and esteem them highly in love for their work, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. Pray for them, Hebrews 13. Help support them financially when needed. And don't accuse them of wrongdoing without witnesses. 
elders are accountable too. But there's a proper way to address an elder that's not living as he should. Notice that all of these required uh, responses are important if the church is to be victorious and survive. If the elders fail, the church will surely fail as well. Satan is coming after your elders. Your elders desire to be godly men who lead according to the word of God. One of the things that Satan, I think, does with leadership in a church, one of the errors that he lets go at us is to believe that the word is not sufficient for everything that we believe, all faith and practice. It happened in the early church. It happens today. People say, well, you know, but our culture says, and maybe we can look to church tradition, and maybe we can look at this. Elders must stay with the word of God, every one of us. If we depart from the word of God, if that's not our final authority, we are in trouble and the church is in trouble. Pray that we might be men who stick with the word. Pray that we might be men who live out what we preach and proclaim. Pray that we might be men who spend time on our knees in prayer for you and for each other. Pray that we might be time spend time in the Word. We want to be godly leaders. Brothers and sisters, we are in a spiritual battle today like none that I've, I've ever seen in my life, in my lifetime. Don't ask me my age. It's been a while. But the, the battle and the darkness is increasing. In our land, it's increasing. More and more every day, they are throwing off Christian principles upon which this country is founded and replacing them with principles actually anti-God. We want to see sinners come to Christ. We want to be a witness, but we want to also stand against the prevailing darkness and shine the light of Christ and live the light of Christ. There's such a time that we live in today, that we need godly leaders like never before. And in addition, the evangelical church in our day is under attack like never before. We see it in the lives of the Josh Harris's and the Rob Bell's and many others who are throwing off the Christian faith daily. Does the Bible really say? Is that the way we should really live, people are asking? If elders begin to cave into that, the church will soon be no more. It will be like Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, when Jesus Christ appeared, well, I'm thinking of another verse right offhand, he says, will there be faith on the earth when he appears? Good question. Will there be? If there is, it will be because of godly men who took their positions, who stood their ground, based on the word of God, and held fast. And it will be because you went to the Lord for them in prayer daily, asking God to give them the strength that they need. Not only is the country going down the tubes, but the evangelical church is slipping more and more. Thank God for the elder Elders of this church, when you pray, I can tell you with all my heart, they are godly men who seek to serve him and serve you. And I think in most cases would lay down their life for you. Thank God for them. But as Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, brethren, pray for us. We need your prayers. We are targets of the enemy. And he comes after us daily. Will you commit to doing that? How many of you, well, I don't even know if I want a show of hands. But if I ask you this, don't, don't raise hands. How many of you pray for your elders each day? Now. And value them. And appreciate them. And thank them. And submit to them.
How many of you are praying for them each day? Think about that. Will you covenant before God that every time you pray, pray for us. We are not going to win as an elder board, and we are not going to win the battle as a church unless you do. Pray. Pray for your elders. Let's pray. Father, we are closing this service today, not with a hymn, but just with this prayer. And we say before you that we know that the darkness is increasing and the battle is getting ferocious and Satan is coming after us in your church with all of his might. He knows the days are short. Help us, Father, to recognize this battle that we're in. Help us to to recognize the importance of the godly men who lead us here and help us to lift them up and pray for them and hold them up and honor them as never before. We pray these things and for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the preservation of your church and especially for the preservation of Front Range Alliance. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.